The Miami Hurricanes held a top-secret evening practice this week. Here's the scoop. You are Locked on Canes, your daily podcast on the Miami Hurricanes. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am Alex Dono, University of Miami alumnus, longtime South Florida sports radio vet and contributor to allhurricanes.com. And thank you so much to the everydayers for making Locked On Canes your first listen. We are available free wherever you get your podcasts and available free on YouTube. We are brought to you today by FanDuel. Make every moment more. Right now, when you bet on a Super Bowl winner, you can get bonus bets every time that team wins in the regular season. FanDuel.com slash LockedOnCollege. So the Hurricanes on Tuesday evening, they held a practice that was closed to media, closed to fans, but we got eyes everywhere. I had uh, an eyewitness who's a former football player out there at practice and I'm told the majority of that practice which is pretty cool was spent going 11 on 11 so it was almost like a scrimmage Uh, more than a normal practice was spent going 11 on 11 in that practice and there were some standouts on the offensive side of the football my friends I'm starting to get excited and bullish about the wide receivers Colby Young was one of the MVPs My guy who was out there who, uh, you know, he's not like a regular member of the media, so he doesn't go out and cover practices uh, on a day-to-day basis, was really impressed with Colby Young. Number four, who's, you know, six foot five, he's trimmed down, he's gotten faster, was making some big-time plays, and um, he referred to Xavier Restrepo as basically unguardable. So I have a feeling that the Tyler Van Dyke X connection is going to continue into this coming year. And for those who are wondering, well, Dono, is he only going to throw to X? Is TVD going to be over-reliant to Restrepo, which we've seen at times in the past? Uh, I don't think so, because I think others in the receiving room are stepping up, with Colby Young being one of those guys. It sounds like uh, Jacoby George had a good practice as well. Now, um, the person I spoke to was absolutely wowed by Tyler Harrell's speed, Uh, It does sound like there were maybe some balls that should have connected his way that weren't connected his way, and apparently there was a drop on what would have been a huge play, but that there are some plays when Tyler Harrell is just, you know, smoking whoever's covering him, which is to be expected when you've got a wide receiver on your team that is running a 4-2-4, right? We just need to find a way to hopefully get that connection between the quarterbacks and, and Tyler Harrell a little bit more consistent. Um, as far as Tyler Van Dyke, he thought TVD looked very good in practice. Um, I was told Emery Williams looked to be probably the second sharpest quarterback, which is basically what I've been seeing throughout practices, but that he's a little bit slower processing where to throw than Jakari Brown is at this point. And Brown, of course, has the experience advantage and he's got the superpower of being an incredible runner, which, you know, neither Emery or Tyler Van Dyke are. So, he wonders if Cristobal would actually trust Emery enough to make him the backup in his first season. I feel the same way about that. I still think Jakari has the edge to be the number two, but Emery Williams is definitely making his case. Uh, my guy saw James Williams blowing up some screens, which is nice. Um, going back to the offense, he was really impressed, as I certainly was coming out of the scrimmage this past Saturday, really impressed with A.J. Allen, Mark Fletcher and Don Chaney at running back said they all looked great. And you have to wonder if there's even, and you know, I'm a big fan of Henry Parrish as well. He works really hard and he's a well-rounded back, but I I think there's going to be 
a competition for who is the first running back on the field this year. Who's going to be the starting running back? I think the additions of A.J. Allen and Mark Fletcher were tremendous. And Don Chaney is healthy right now. And, you know, he's working his way back through a lot of adversity, having missed the past two seasons. So these guys looked great out there. Uh, he thought Francisco Maui Noah, Kiko, looked the best out of all the linebackers. Uh, he was, you know, impressed overall with Miami's offensive line. You know, he's watched, uh, you know, my my source here has watched a lot of SEC football. He says it's not quite an SEC offensive line just yet, but he thinks they're getting to that point. Uh, he feels like Devontae Brown. I mean, I feel like this as well. Devontae Brown probably has one of the starting cornerback jobs lined up, the transfer from UCF. Uh, but definitely sounds like there's a battle between Damari Brown, Daryl Porter, and Jadeus Richard for the other spot. And I'm definitely not sleeping on Daryl Porter because Porter had a really good spring and he's got an experience advantage over Judeus and over Damari Brown. So I wonder how that's going to play out. If you're looking for what would be the best story at cornerback, yeah, the best story would probably be Damari and Devante, the the siblings, the the brothers starting uh, at cornerback from Miami. And I know their dad, Selwyn Brown, would be, who's a Miami alum, would be incredibly proud of his boys if they can make that happen. But we will have to see how that one plays out. So, folks, exciting stuff happening on the practice field. It's not perfect. They're working out some kinks, which is exactly what you should be doing this time of year. And we are 15 days away, 15 days away from Miami running through that smoke on September 1st. There can only be one Miami when Miami of Florida takes on Miami of Ohio. I couldn't be more excited about this. And I'm really excited to answer you guys' questions and we're going to be doing that. You've been hitting me up on our exclusive SMS, SMS texting service through subtext. I include a link in the show description below if you want to sign up and try it free for 14 days. Uh, so we've got some good ones I want to get to here about the team unity and cohesiveness. How can Miami get that going in time for, you know, Texas A&M, especially on September 9th? Uh, the running defense, is that still a concern? The rush defense? Uh, about another set of siblings. Well, there's three sets of siblings on the team this year. So how are the other ones doing outside of uh, Damari and Devontae Brown? Uh, some recruiting questions as well. Is Miami heading into a big weekend? Will it be a big weekend or a weekend of disappointment? We are only getting started. You want to keep it locked right here to Locked on Canes. FanDuel. Guys, football season is about to kick off, and FanDuel is giving you the chance to win all season long. Because right now, when you bet on a Super Bowl winner, you can get bonus bets every time they win in the regular season. So if you like our Miami Dolphins, or if you're a stinking Jets fan, you think they're going to go all the way, you bet on a Super Bowl future, and every time that team wins, you're getting bonus bets. You can, of course, get in on all the college football action as well at FanDuel. Just pick any team to win that Super Bowl. You'll get bonus bets for every victory. You can use bonus bets on spreads, player props, over-unders, and so much more. So visit FanDuel.com slash locked on and start earning bonus bets with America's number one sports book. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on. Make every moment more. Thank you so much for making every moment more with Locked on Canes. We are available free wherever you get your podcasts and available free on YouTube. And for the everydayers, you know we're going to have you covered on a big Friday episode tomorrow. We'll probably do some weekend stuff as well. Any practice reports, any recruiting reports. 
We're with you every single day here on Locked on Canes. But I want to answer some of you guys' questions. And again, if you want to join our exclusive SMS texting community through subtext, click the link in the show description below. I answer you guys' questions on there. We do one-on-ones. I give you recruiting scoops practice updates, breaking news, stuff you're going to get before uh, I have a chance to put it out on a show. So if you want to try it free for 14 days, you can do that. Nothing to lose. Then if you like it, you can opt in $4.99 a month. We give you a lot of added value on there. We get a question from Salty Warrior who says, you and Bruce Warner talked earlier this week about cohesiveness with about 40 new players who will start or play a lot, and that includes freshmen. So the question is, he says, what would the signs be? What would be the signs that the coaches and players have done enough to accomplish that cohesiveness? He says, after 30 years in the Army, and thank you for your service, Salty Warrior, uh, he says there were definite signs if a unit was cohesive. What do we look for in football to see it? Tremendous question. Uh, the big things that I look for are players talking and communicating on the field. That's a big one. And you're going to look for things like busted coverages. How many busted coverages did we see in the defensive backfield last year? It was clear those guys weren't communicating properly last year and that there was probably a disconnect between the defensive coordinator and what they were lining up in and what their assignments were supposed to be. When you see a receiver who's 20 yards open, <laughs> you know there's probably a lack of cohesiveness, right? And again, I can't emphasize this enough. You want to see players talking and communicating on the field. Uh, a big thing that I look for on the offensive side of the football, if you see a quarterback throw and there's nobody within 10 or 15 yards, somebody probably ran the wrong route and there was a lack of communication and cohesiveness, you definitely want to look for that. And a big thing, Salty, is at some point this year, Miami is going to lose a game. I don't think they're going to go 12-0 and or 15-0. and At some point this year, Miami is going to face some kind of adversity how do they respond from that, right? Does a loss turn into a two, three-game losing streak? Do they bounce back and play better? Because that's always a great indicator of team unity and cohesiveness is the way that you respond from adversity. Because if these guys don't like each other and if they don't like the coaches or the coaches aren't communicating properly, um, adversity tends to avalanche into something even bigger than that. So I think those are the things we're going to be looking for this season. And that was a great question. And if I'm being real here, I gave you the things we can look for. There's a lot of stuff that, you know, if the team is having issues, a lot of that stuff gets kept in-house and we'll never know. But communication, blown assignments, responding from adversity, those are the big things that I look for to see how cohesive this team is because you've got a lot of new coaches and a lot of new players. They've got to get on the same page very, very quickly. Uh, we get a question from Jake from the State of Farmers. He says, we struggled on defense against the run last year, and it seems our offense ran the ball uh, all over them on Saturday. How concerned should I be about that being our Achilles heel again this year? Um, well, okay. Something that does give me confidence is Miami has uh, – they've, they've got more defensive line depth this year, especially on the edges compared to last year. And I think the linebacker group is a lot better. Right, The defensive line, probably a little bit better. The linebacker room is a lot better. And so I've got to think that when your linebackers are bigger and faster, 
that, uh, you know, you're not going to missed tackles. I don't think will be as big of a problem as it was over the last couple of years. Two years ago, it was like Armageddon of missed tackles last year. Not quite as bad when it came to missed tackles, but not good at all in stopping the run. I've got to think that the linebacker room improving and uh, and the defensive line, I believe, improving is going to help Miami stop the run. You've also got a defensive coordinator who's got a very good track record with that. So you're right about that. I mean, the the offense had success running the football the past two Saturdays when they were doing scrimmages. Uh, well, really, this past Saturday was like an official scrimmage the Saturday before. Uh, I think they did some scrimmage work and Lance Gidry said the run stopping wasn't very good, but uh, I, I don't think it's going to be as much of an Achilles heel as it has been in years past. We get a question from that dude, two, three, nine, who says, Dono, any word on the Washington brothers, how they're doing in fall camp? Robbie was getting a lot of buzz early, but kind of died off. And any word uh, on the transfers like defensive tackle Thomas Gore? Uh, I know he does not have the physical attributes like size, but his production at Georgia State was pretty good. Uh, the Washington brothers are doing fine. Um, you know, I, I've mentioned how how good the freshman linebackers have been doing, and Bobby has been one of those. And Bobby had the – first of all, Bobby is a dog. Like that that dude, he is – he's the type of, you know, guy who would run through a brick wall for the University of Miami. Like we need, we need more players like him when it comes to being a dog and having that sort of attitude – um, you know, he's put on some good size and Bobby had the advantage because a, a lot of the freshman linebackers were not around for spring football or in the case of Malik Bryant, he was here, but he was banged up during the spring. So that that put the other freshmen a little bit behind. Bobby was a little bit ahead of them, I think, and just kind of learning the defense in the playbook. Uh, I think Robbie has been fine. You know, I just think that. Um, you know, the freshman receivers, obviously Ray Ray has really popped at times has maybe made just more, more headlines and, you know, some of the more experienced guys in the transfers. So I think it can be easy to sometimes overlook a guy like Robbie, but I think Robbie's going to be fine. And I think he can also play a role potentially on special teams as a returner as well. So I'm fine with the Washington brothers. Uh, as far as Thomas Gore, you know, I don't get to watch as much of the line of scrimmage. He didn't necessarily uh, pop for me in, in the open scrimmage this past Saturday, so I'll be looking for more on him. The guy who's been really good transferring in so far has been Branson Dean. I think Branson Dean is going to end up probably being a starting defensive tackle next to Leonard Taylor. So uh, with Gore, um, I haven't noticed him as much, but that doesn't necessarily mean he's not doing well. He might be doing fine. Uh, we get a question from Maine Kane. And Maine Kane, if at first you don't succeed, try and try again. Because I think he tried to ask this question on another episode, didn't get to it, but I'm getting to it now. He says, hey, I'd like to re-enter my previous question about where Miami could still realistically rank in recruiting when things come to a close. I'm not sure if your guy, Brian Smith, has any insight into that. Um, let's see. So, okay. Miami right now, they've got the, uh, you know, it's, it's August, but they've got the 15th ranked recruiting class in the country. Um, if you ask me right now, I, I don't think they're going to get inside the top 10, but they may somewhere between 10 to 10 to 15, I think is where they're probably going to finish. I could see them maybe landing one other five star, probably adding maybe five additional players to the class that aren't currently in the class. So, uh, I don't think they're going to finish quite as high in recruiting as last year. I think you've maybe missed too many of your blue chip targets to finish in the top seven or the top five this year. But I think Miami's going to be right around 10 to early teens. So that's kind of where I see them finishing. But Maine Kane, 
This is an ever-evolving answer. Within the next three months, this could get a lot better. It could get a lot worse. So, uh, you know, that's just how I'm feeling right now. Mid-August, I'm feeling like somewhere between 10 to 15 is where Miami's going to finish in recruiting. But, you know, at the end of the day, you know, the, the actual ranking only matters so much. It's how you develop the players when they get in and how well those players fit into your systems. And those are the types of players Miami is looking for. We get a question from ND Hater 85. If you hate Notre Dame, you're a friend of mine. Uh, he says, Hey, which do you see being more beneficial to Miami's success in the future? NIL or the transfer portal? Both. I mean, you can call it a cop out answer, but the two of those things walk hand in hand, right? NIL is obviously very influential in transfer portal as it is in recruiting. Now, Miami also has the advantage of being a kick-butt location. I mean, you know, who doesn't want to be in South Florida, especially if you if you play your first couple of years like in a college town in the Midwest and got to go through winter. Winter is not fun, I've heard. You know, I've never had to actually live in winter before. But, you know, a lot of guys are like, oh, I want to get down to Miami. But, no, I think uh, I think NIL is equally important. I, I, I can't really say one or one of those things or the other is more important. Got a question from Lowell. Lowell says, who do you think will be the next Miami commit and when? And how many more before the season? Uh, like I said, I think probably maybe about six more before the season starts. I could see Miami being in like the 26, 27 range for the number of players they bring in. Remember, there's no cap on it this year. Uh, all, the only cap is... 85 scholarship players by the time every season starts that's the cap you don't have a cap on you know you can only have up to 25 players in a recruiting class nothing like that you can go over 25 so i could see miami with probably 26 or 27 players you know i i'm i'm of i'm of the understanding that something something could pop this weekend in terms of miami getting the next recruit i just don't know for sure who that's going to be all right there's a few players I keep my eyes on. I don't know for sure if it's going to be one of these players or if it's going to be this Saturday or, or Friday. Um, you know, obviously, all eyes on Saturday are going to be on Camarion Franklin, who's going to be deciding. I do believe Auburn is in the lead for the five-star defensive tackle out of Cormorant, Mississippi. But I also know Miami has not given up. Miami is still pushing. Miami thinks they are still in it, and they think that decision could come, come down to Saturday. So... No one's waving the white flag of surrender there, but I do believe Auburn is probably in the lead right now with Camarion Franklin. We're also looking at a couple of players who, uh, you know, don't necessarily have a hard date for this weekend, like Zaquan Patterson, five-star safety out of Chaminade, who, uh, you know, a number of schools are, are trying to close that deal. You know, hopefully Miami gets some kind of a hometown advantage, and I know his mom really wants him to be at Miami from what I've heard. And, you know, Zay Mincy is someone that we're watching. But you talk to a Canes fan, they're pretty confident. You talk to a Gator fan, they'll be like, he ain't going to Miami. He's he's coming to the swamp. Zay Mincy, we're not worried. Zay is a Gator lock, they tell me. So we'll see what happens there. But, you know, I, I don't know, man. I, I don't know necessarily who it's going to be, but I am bracing myself potentially this weekend to be, re to be covering a new verbal commit to the University of Miami. All right, we still have questions to answer uh, about why Miami didn't get a single Associated Press vote. I think I've got an answer for that question. Uh, someone wants to know if the offense is going to be vanilla this year. I think I've got an answer for that question as well. We're not done yet, folks. Keep it locked. Alex Dono with you on Locked on Canes.
Thank you so much for making Locked on Canes your first listen today. We are available free wherever you get your podcasts, and we're available free on YouTube. And folks, we're here every day. We are talking Miami Hurricanes football and basketball when they're in season every single day. So become an everydayer. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. Subscribe to our audio feed at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your pods. And if you want to take your VIP uh, experience, your everyday experience to the next level, you want to sign up for our exclusive subtext SMS service with the link in the show description below. All right, we get a question from... Uh, who is this from? From someone in the 954, or in the 904. I didn't have the name, but someone in the 904. What is, what is that, the Jacksonville area? Get a lot of support up there. Thank you. Assuming we can't have both, what would be more appealing to Jeremiah Smith potentially flipping to Miami? Number one, an eight-win season, but a high-flying offense scoring 38 points per game, or two, a 10-win season, but an okay offense scoring 28 points per game, which is still better than last year. Um, okay, disclaimer, I cannot speak for Jeremiah Smith. I can only try to put myself in his shoes and say what would look more appealing to Jeremiah. I I haven't asked him this question. I don't know what his answer would be, uh, but I don't know. I, I got to think that um, if you win eight games and your offense is just smoking people left and right, that would probably be more appealing to an offensive player who's going to be looking to put up stats, you know, wants to be a first round NFL draft pick in a few years. So uh, I, I don't know. That would number one would probably be my answer that even if you win a fewer game or two, but your offense is like going bonkers and almost scoring 40 points per game and the receivers are grabbing deep balls left and right, that would probably be it. So I, I don't know if Jeremiah would have a different answer, but that's where I'm going with it. Uh, we get a question from Jeff in Aiken. Is that in South Carolina, Aiken? Uh, he says, Alex, I'm having a hard time understanding why not one AP voter voted for UM in the top 25 when you have the likes of Troy, Coastal Carolina, James Madison, and Liberty getting votes, not to mention Tulane, Iowa, and Kansas State landing in the top 25. He says, do these voters only look at the previous year's record and not the changes and improvements the teams have made? Jeff, I think that's a big part of it. I think another part of it, to be fair, you guys know I look at a lot of things through orange and green colored glasses. But, okay, there are there are other teams who went five and seven who received votes. Miami didn't. But I got to tell you, man, uh, to be fair, the quality of some of Miami's losses were beyond poor. I think that does make a difference, that when you're not only losing more games than you won, but you're getting smoked by Middle Tennessee. You almost got mercy ruled by Florida State, and you lost, what, what was it, four touchdowns you lost by to Duke? That the the quality or lack thereof of some of those losses, I think, also goes into it. I think another component is there definitely is an anti-Miami bias, and you know Miami has to go the extra mile just to get any consideration. They didn't go the extra mile last year. And listen, I also think that, uh, you know, I think the way the AP works is they've got like uh, they, they've got AP writers who are kind of stationed in a lot of the different markets nearby teams. And, you know, the, the one the one that's down here is he's not a homer. He's he's a straight shooter. He's not uh, maybe some of maybe the AP guy who's in Gainesville is probably, you know, someone who uh, who wrestles alligators every day and he eats uh, stale mac and cheese and he loves loves everything about the Gators and he's biased. Like, you know, the guy down here is uh 
is not biased. So you didn't get any hometown cooking when it comes to a vote. And just to be clear, I don't think Miami deserves to be in the top 25. I don't think Miami deserved to get a single vote, but I think I think a big reason why they didn't get a single vote is not only did they lose seven games, a lot of those losses were really, really, really bad, like not even competitive. So I think that has something to do with it. Uh, we get a question from Delane who says, Dono, I've been hearing the first scrimmage was very vanilla. I'm trying not to read too much into it due to new schemes, coaches, and players, but I can't help but see the same approach as last year around this time. Just tell me I'm being overly skeptical and tell me what I'm missing. No, you're, you are being o overly skeptical. Um, they're, they're not going to show you creativity in a scrimmage. They're just, they're, they're just not. Because even though they told everybody there, no filming, no pictures, you know, they there were 3,000 people there. I'm sure they're... There's always the concern that someone's going to take video, and who knows, maybe, uh, maybe uh, um, Sunbelt uh, Mike Norvell maybe sent the spy down here to watch. So, yeah, I wouldn't read too much into. It. I, I think the offense and defense are both going to be a lot less vanilla. They're going to be. What would the opposite of vanilla be? Chocolate, Rocky Road, like what? What would it? Pistachio? Eh, probably not. Uh, but it's it's not going to be vanilla. I don't believe. I wouldn't read too much into what happened in the scrimmage. Uh, got a question from Dorthon who says, what are we being told about the relationships between our new coordinators and the team? It seems that last set couldn't really build true connections. Um, yeah, listen, so far, so good. There's always going to be a honeymoon, right? It's really easy to love your coaches in August, uh, September, October, November. If you're losing games and, and things aren't going well, then that that's going to be the true test. But um, the, the new coordinators are very personable in a way that the last year coordinator, especially the guy on offense last year, uh, they're personable, the new guys in a way that last year's coordinators were not. And I think an important thing is the players are really excited about the schemes because the, the schemes are just they're more dynamic and more progressive than both sides of the ball than the schemes were last year. So, so far, so good when it comes to the relationships. Um Josh says, hey, good morning, Dono. I would love to know how is Trevante Citizen doing? Did he have any other setback? Uh, no, he's he, his recovery seems to be going okay. So he he did have a setback, but it was like last spring or, or winter when he had a setback. So I, I th that's the reason why he's not fully participating in practice. But it seems like he's coming along nicely. I, I, he's not going to be ready, I don't think, for the season opener, but he'll probably be ready at some point during the year. And then Miami's going to have even more depth at running back, which is already one of the deeper positions on the team. Trey says, hey, as we get into our second and third scrimmages, should we start seeing the depth chart being hinted at or released, or is it going to be held out till kickoff? Uh, as far as an official release, we're not going to get one until kickoff of the first game. And that first well, really, all year long, the depth charts are going to have like so and so as a starter or so and so. So you're even the depth charts that they release will be not very detailed, um, which is, you know, you know they, they, they don't have to tell you all their trade secrets. I have no issue with Miami keeping things close to the vest because they don't want to give any other teams any advantages in knowing what or who they're going to throw out there. As far as like taking guesses at the depth charts, yeah. The closer you get to the season, the better idea who's going to be starting based on who's lining up. But the closer we get to the season, the more the more secretive the practices will become for that reason. And just to be clear, I don't have a problem with that. I'm not one of those media members who's because uh, there some media members are like, I need everything. 
They need to show me everything they're doing. I want to watch the entire practice, and I want to be able to write about every single intricacy of the depth chart. Man, I'm not like that, and I think it's because I'm a lifelong fan because, you know, I, I want the team to win and have an environment for success, and if there has to be, you know, keeping things close to the vest, if that has to be a part of it, I'm okay with it because I, I want the team to win because that, that's good for business. That's good for everybody. We get a question from Q Irvin who says, what would be the key for us to have a successful nine or 10 win season this year? Um, probably the biggest key would be probably quarterback play, right? I mean, team teams who, who win 10 games in this league usually do it with really dynamic quarterback play. So if Tyler Van Dyke bounces back the way I think he can, um, and then, you know, part two of that answer would be offensive line has got to stay healthy. I think Miami's got one of the best offensive lines in the ACC, if not in the entire country, but they don't have that much depth at O-line. So there, there are certain players you just cannot afford to lose. So quarterback play, offensive line, if those things are on point, I, I think we could we could be looking at a much improved season from last year. Quazy asks, hey, is Texas A&M really the Super Bowl that the fans are making it out to be? It's week two with new coordinators. will be the first game probably using the full playbook. For me personally, I don't think so. I'm looking at ACC play as the big deal breaker in general. Um, it's a good point, Quazy. I think the reason why a lot of fans, and myself included, have talked about Texas A&M as the most important game is just when it's happening. Week two. That can make or break your season. I think there's a lot of concern. Like if if Miami were to get smoked in that game, God forbid, um, you know, it's gonna the the, the fans are gonna feel like you had the rug ripped out from under you, and the enthusiasm's gonna dwindle, and maybe the players don't respond well from it. But if you win that game or win it big, then that can kind of drive the rest of your season and build momentum. Uh, I think it's just about the timing. I think the reason why so many people look at that Texas A&M as being like the game to circle on the schedule is because of when it's happening, it can make or break your season. Thank you guys so much for making Locked on Canes your first listen. You want to support the show. Make sure if you're watching us on YouTube, you hit that thumbs up button. Subscribe to our channel on the audio version. Make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, wherever you get your pods and leave us a five-star review. And we will talk to you again next time on another episode of Locked on Canes. We are part of the awesome Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day.